Dr. Bruce welcomes you to something brand new here in the Levity Zone. For the past 20 years, I have been living down the road from the creative dyad of Penny Slinger Hills and Duran Dassu, the wondrous estate known to many as the Goddess Temple that they reside in was built by the late Dr. Christopher Hills, a philosopher extraordinaire who I knew casually in the mid-1990s. About 14 years ago, Penny built a professional audio and video studio called the Blue Lotus Temple of Sound and Light. In 2011, Duran and I started to sit in the studio and just rap for hours on any subject that popped into our heads. For some time, I have been planning to stream these out to you here in the zone, and so now I will start. And what you will hear next is the most recent of these conversations. As you listen, you might say, whoa, as this will come across as a rather controversial set of views on the festival scene here on the west coast of the U.S. and elsewhere. We take a concerted stab and pop the bubble culture around what is loosely termed the tribe. So without further ado, let's dive in and let come what may. As a starting point for this discussion, we're fundamentally looking at the mindset and psychology and lifestyle of the West Coast visionary slash festival culture, which on the surface is full of young bright countercultural counterculture types who are building a brave new world using all of the tools of shamanic practice and every esoteric spiritual path known to us from yoga, tantra, South American shamanism, psychedelic use, digital media, social networking, you know, the nexus point of, of all those different strands and of the people who inhabit this space and what is it really all about like who are these people where are they going where are they from Mm -hmm. where is it they think they're going and where are they actually going where are they actually going yeah so that's what we're gonna talk about tonight and sort of explore that and maybe go a little bit counter to the prevailing view from the members of this community that they are somehow creating a new world and that they're on a path to creating some kind of on-the-ground, sustainable, new economic order, new spiritual order, new responsible uh, leadership order in the future, that in fact what is happening is traction gained given that this has been going on something like this since the middle 1960s what is the traction what is the record and the individual personal lives how do people manifest this how do they 
behave? How do they function? How do they run businesses? How do they run their lives? So that's going to be our, our scope of our investigation uh, in this, uh, this discussion. Yeah, like who pays for this stuff? How does it actually come to be? Like, what are the stated goals? And how does it manifest in the end? I mean, what do you come home with? And what what change in the world are you seeing from 15, 20 years of festival culture? The thing is, I was, you know, I was thinking about that, is that most other places, festival culture, yes, their music festival culture exists in one format or another in most places, you know, definitely in Europe in a big way. Except in Europe, it's not been that we are creating a new world. It's much more obviously about fun and music and, and, and decadence and... Or culturally rooted, it might be the ring cycle, you know, classical, things that are totally culturally rooted. A friend of a friend from New Zealand, actually Tasmania, who was visiting. Okay, he's traveled through Europe, he's traveled through Asia. And he went to Burning Man. In his really succinct summation was this West Coast visionary art and culture thing. I just don't get it. Hmm. It doesn't really do anything for me. So it's like so inward looking and so convinced of its self that it doesn't speak to him as anything that matters to the world. No, you know, and he's someone who has a healthy respect for music and art and the transformational powers of such things so this wasn't coming from mm -hmm. someone who doesn't have a context for where art and music permeate into culture and lifestyle mm. in summary there's maybe a like this this effort down in ojai of these people to try to knit together this so-called movement or so-called community and create something real out of it or is there any other hopeful outcomes or potential evolution of this, this movement and this festival scene and the clothing, art, dance, music that could have an impact, a positive impact in the future? Or is this just a phase in a very specific bubble culture in a very specific part of the world that is serving its own needs but actually doesn't have a broader mission? You know, in the end, the same rules apply, you know. Human condition hasn't mm. fundamentally changed. We're still required to do something. Celebration in itself is not enough. Celebration has to be part of a cycle, and that cycle has to include... The work and the harvest. Yeah, the work, the harvest, manifestation, mm. the, the sweat. It has to involve all those steps. As much of a consumer society as we live in, where everything is accessible. You know, I mean, just as a strange example, I was watching the movie about Julia Child. Mm -hmm. You had to really work at it to make mayonnaise mm. 40 years ago or 50 years ago. You know, it took an effort to make mayonnaise. Mm. It involved some planning, it involved some skill. You had to get it right. Now, if that same mayonnaise is available, from a consumer culture on every supermarket shelf. We're losing a lot. We may be gaining access to mayonnaise every time we want it. Mm. 
it's not the same thing, you know. Like we can't have that ripple into a lifestyle choice where we now assume that we can just have a series of peak experiences. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. those peak experiences have to come as part of a full cycle germination upwards you know it has to start from a seed whether that seed is an idea or a product or a vision ultimately there has to be hard work involved in the process Mm -hmm. and it has to be in a functional fashion where it actually manifests into something it then has to meet the next level of functionality to actually be sustainable in whatever sense that means whether we're talking about environmentally sustainable or fiscally sustainable Things have to be full cycle. We, we cannot bypass key parts of the cycle and cherry pick the parts we like. You know, that is ultimately the only real criticism I have. The real downside I see to all this, to this West Coast festival culture bubble is that it's fundamentally attempting to bypass so many of the steps in getting there. Hmm. Obviously, tribal communal celebration is a good thing so it has many positive benefits to it would you say that things like esalen or yoga festivals bhakti festivals or where the practitioners actually have a job being a yoga instructor and this is part of their thing is to do it at the festival and then they go home and they actually make a living that way those are more grounded I think so, you know, I, I feel so, because, you know, as individuals, we all have to be doing something. If what we're doing is just working around the infrastructure of setting up a group experience mm-hmm. so we can pat ourselves on the back, yeah, we're missing, we're missing some key parts of the full cycle. And I think your experience, you know, living here for, what is it, close to... Uh, 12, yeah. 12 years yeah. now? Yeah, more than 12 now. You know, you and Penny here have had the unique perspective of having many mavens or well-known people, artists, musicians, you name it, coming through, living here for periods of time. You've done events here with the people, the minor players and major players. Your weir was held out and the water flowed through and flowing through was this festival, West Coast festival scene. And we heard Penny originally coming into this, her sort of arms were open, her eyes were open to, oh, this could be truly wonderful. But now she's left in the state of wondering what it was all about, what it all mean. Maybe you could comment on the perspective you guys have, having stayed in one place while the scene flowed through. And, and you got to see the personality types, the characters, the behaviors. And at this point, there are archetypes. There's the wannabe shaman. Mm-hmm. There's the wannabe ethnobotanist. Multiple flavors of the diva. Mm-hmm. Be them, you know, whether it's men or women. Like, essentially, artists who are so convinced that they are God's gift to the world and that the rest of us are a support structure for their visions to unfold. The promoters, the ones who are always looking at the angle on how to monetize off this clear pool of energy, because it is... The pool of energy. Know. There's acolytes. Yeah, there's acolytes. There's the the green freaks. The green freaks. You know, who will drop the word permaculture within two minutes of your first conversation with them. will involve extended views and opinions on 
sustainable lifestyles and permaculture and growing stuff and raising chickens, you know, all this which seems to run very counter to their, you know, to their gas guzzling V8 cars right. that they're also, you know, as interested in at the same time. You know, these are just some, then, some of the archetypes. You know, and there's the community model. I've seen, I mean, both me and Penny have probably seen up to this point, at least I can think of eight, nine, maybe ten different iterations, different configurations of people who wanted to build community. Talk, talking community, like community here on this yeah. land. Yeah. Like, we have a large property with an infrastructure and music studio and a video studio and storage space and mm-hmm. yurts and tents and there's, there's a reasonable infrastructure here to support a small community mm. and we've heard every possible pitch on the subject at this point you know From, and in the end mm. I've yet to see any of them pan out this is a pretty profound bunch of data over 10 years of this now and you've held some big events here. I've been at a few of them. You know, great big, must have been exhausting parties of hundreds of people. And then video projects and then online media projects with people who failed to meet their obligations several times. Doing media for people in the tribe, that then they don't come through. And, uh, and you, you wonder, you know, where, where do they learn basic ethics? And basic honesty, that's not even there. In, in their souls, they're, they're, the entitlement goes to the point where they're going to try to ding you out of payment for good, hard-earned work. Some of the most integrity-filled personal and business exchanges I've had have been with a Christian, mm-hmm. Republican, mm-hmm. South African. Wow. At least on the surface, we don't share the same belief structures. And of course, the um, the guy, the El Salvadorans or Mexicans that come and work yeah. and do the work, compare them to the mostly white, new age, hippie community wannabes that show up to, and they're going to work their way, you know. And... That's one of the other archetypes, the work trade character. Essentially, people with no real skills <laughs> who are convinced that Whatever they do, that any expenditure of their time actually has dollar value. I can't think of any of them that panned out. Not because, hmm. you know, like even recently I was talking to a couple of people who were, you know, we were discussing uh, fixing and redoing portions of, the, of our deck. Hmm. And heard all kinds of ideas about, oh, we could get a work party and get 15 to 20 people and we could all do it and get it done and have them all be here for a week and we could get it done. At a certain point in the conversation, I was just saying, look, if I get two professionals, two real workers, any of those real professionals would knock this job out by themselves in two days. Mm-hmm. I know 15 of us work trade types. We would dick around for a week. Mm-hmm. and do a sloppy job and not get it right. All those community models have completely faded in my, there's no in Amish, my belief structure. because uh, No Amish barn raising because there's no Amish. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm presuming the Amish all actually have raised enough barns so they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, or at least there's enough of a core group of tried and tested professionals who've done that. You know, whereas in this case, it's so what. What we're talking about here is you brought sort of this more abstract thing of the festival culture and how it actually does it actually do anything in society and you've brought that back down to the reality of the people who are part of that culture they arrive in your property even attempt even to the point of of offering work trade and over 10 12 years none of them have been able to do it once none of them have taken any of the initiative so that that's a big sampling of really gross incompetence and gross uh, lack of any basic how to start, where to start, how to organize skills. So, and of course, the people who are building the festivals, there's some professionals in there. But the, these are more the people who are the hangers up, who are not building infrastructure at festivals. So, in some sense, the the carriers, the, the, the clientele go in and out of that scene without learning a damn thing of practical value. So in some sense, the, the festival panders to their lack of ability. It doesn't increase their ability. You know, some, some festivals or some events where you come and you help build them, you'd come out there uh, with a skill but if you, someone is just building, as you say, said originally a chill space for you to go in and smoke and talk about your conspiracy theory, that chill space is not imparting anything to those, those festival goers. They're just coming out no better. They've learned nothing. They've had the peak experience, what they think of as a peak experience, and they've, they've just wanked their way through it, and they're out and into their low-functioning, low-paying subsistence life which in the context of this now declining crumbling middle class they're in their 20s now so they're able to kind of get by but they're heading into kind of an armageddon situation in that uh, when they're in their 30s and 40s if the economy hasn't seriously turned around and created middle class jobs and the, the solid growth that you saw from the early 50s up, you know, perhaps tapering off and dying by the 90s, those people are going to sink into true poverty. They're going to be in true poverty. And true poverty hasn't been seen in the country for, you know, it's, it's starting up again, I think. Uh, but true true poverty, which is a fate that you, know, you would wish on no one. And I think in, in, in some sense, you know, roll the clock toward 2015, 2025, What's happening right now is the so-called recovery and a boom in the stock market. It's now the gamers are back in the game. The people who are institutional investors are driving the stock market bubble. There's almost no ordinary people in that. So it's like a peeling off of wealth creation. The people who went through foreclosure and chronic underemployment, the kids that came out of school and 2008 and are chronically unemployed now and all of their brethren, their younger sisters and brothers who are graduating from colleges now are getting jobs, but their older brother and sister can't because they've been unemployed. So they, they're now tainted. 
So all of this, you know, what do you think, where does it roll forward to? And the festival's a nice, a nice blow-off zone. It's a nice, relaxing peak experience zone. But it, it steals time away from turning oneself around, turning oneself into something. Every facet of it, in its own right, is okay. You know, every one of those things has a place and can be tools for positive movement in life and in one's path. The only issues I see are you have to do something, mm -hmm. you know. As long as this is a doing part of your life, there is still value in it. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is that the only asset we all have, really, is time and what we choose to do with it. Mm. You know, there is basic economic theory, right? It's one of the most fundamental parts of economics, opportunity cost. When you choose to do one thing, that means you choose to not do another thing. Mm -hmm. In all these cases, as long as these kids are cognizant of the opportunity cost of their choices, then it's a fair game, you know. Mm -hmm. Go into it with your eyes open. Understand this is a bubble, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing. There are things to learn. I learned many useful things from my time in the bubble. No mm -hmm. questions about it, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about how to interact with people, how to form social connections, a whole bunch of stuff that was being very useful. A lot of conflict management and crisis management stuff. Loads of that came from my bubble experience, from my time in one version of the bubble in the mid-90s. Go into it with your eyes closed in self-congratulating yourself on how cool you are and how evolved you and all your buddies are because, you know, you've just scored and the newest, latest pharmaceutical designer alphabet soup and you're kind of missing anything that may possibly have value in it. So in, in summary for this conversation, I think what we're trying to do here is to put out a little bit of a warning or more than a little bit of a warning to those who fall under the sway of the scene uh, that you actually have to take care of yourself and you have to go in with your eyes wide open, as Duran is saying here, and really see it for what it is and really try to see that in the little cracks and holes where you can actually obtain value. Can you learn a skill in music or setting up the tech for music and building something? Is there somebody who can teach you a skill like sewing garments? or But just to go there and get inflated and uh, then to go out and assume that that's a lifestyle choice and that there's no work to be done and that you can quit your school in the last semester and not get your degree and just go off because you're questing and never go back to finish school, you know, and that there is somehow some mysterious transom by which you can travel up and down the coast and live in this exalted lifestyle. It just, it really doesn't exist. And that time is opportunity and and the cost to a young life, in, especially in your 20s, when it's the time that you have to put some kind of skill set down. It's a time when your mind is malleable enough and flexible enough and you can learn fast enough to, to obtain multiple skills 
and that to blow your entire wad in your 20s and into your 30s is not a good move. You need to back in some reality of some real stuff, whatever that is, at the same time as you enjoy the scene. But the scene is not life. The scene is not the world. And the scene doesn't extend really across the pond to many other places. It's a very localized bubble. And it's probably not the future. For me, it's it's also the music and the ability to practice my craft and my art, which is to do immersive compelling storytelling about science and the human condition and the future and uh, in audiences of mostly pretty receptive young people, you know, which is hard to find physical audiences of receptive people um, and to build that craft and to hopefully reach some of them to pursue some of the themes that I talk about, which might be space or human evolution or origins of life or those sorts of things which turn me on and motivate a young person to actually take up a serious practice in their life uh, and pursue it and tackle the big questions, build cool new products, but take on something serious and real, get them going. That's, that's what drives me. And the life is short. You know, life is short. There are no guarantees, you know. Spend your time wisely. Because, you, you, you don't yeah. want to reach our age and, and say, uh, oh, <laughs> Because we're kind of, you know, certainly at my age, at 51, I'm like watching my parents die and I'm watching friends die and realizing what it is is about what's left, not what great plans one can make. It's what you must carefully do with what you're doled out in the remainder of your health. Yeah, and, and for me, you know, I've made less than optimal choices in many, many facets of this. So this is not... You know, most of this has little to do with preaching as much as communicating some of these experiences so that not everyone needs to repeat the same errors. Youth is wasted on the young, you know. (laughs) That's what it comes down to, you know. Just recognize that in your 20s, you're capable of so much. Use your time and energy wisely, you know. Build for the future. That's ultimately the point of what me and Bruce are trying to communicate. We just love the energy when we're around people in the twen- in their 20s. Their energy is just so wonderful. Their positivity, their can-do-ness. Uh, it's a whole thing that, that it keeps the world running. So in a sense, it's right-sizing the expectations of this so-called tribal, West Coast, maybe East Coast, you know, other places, festival, blah-de-blah, counterculture, blah-de-blah scene. You know, really open your eyes and look at it for what it is, uh, because it's not really what it's advertised to be. What I hope came across here is a caring but also concerted warning to young people who step into the bubble and then believe that questing across the festivals is a modus operandi for life. All I ask is, take a look at the course of your own life. Are you happy? Are you healthy? But also, are you acquiring skills and life experience that are valued by others? Time moves along fast, and you don't want to cross your 50th revolution around the sun without being rooted here somehow in this life in some way. Dubberator provided the tracks for this studio session's intro and outro. 
And Jacob Amon again crafted our cover art on a photo taken by Penny Slinger. <laughs> 